Okay, Galatians chapter 1. That's different for me. I would have had you turn to Galatians 5, and then I would have had you go back to Galatians 1, but Galatians chapter 1. Your life can be compared to a tree. So what kind of tree would be an accurate reflection of your life? Matter of fact, Jesus did this. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. So what kind of tree are you? Matter of fact, the psalmist, the very, the very gate entryway into the whole 150 psalms is Psalm 1 where it says, if you meditate on the Word, He will be like a what? Like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and it will bring forth its fruit in its season. So what kind of, if we could say it this way, produce grows off of your limbs? I doubt if there is a more pressing and urgent issue for the church today than determining what Jonathan Edwards sought to determine when he in the colonies of New England saw revival springing up around him. He, to put it in the form of a question, he asked, what is genuine spirituality? What is the proof of an authentic believer? Or to put it in his question, are there certain features or characteristics in human thought and behavior that serve as signs of the saving activity and presence of the Spirit of God? And this is really a part one of part two. Next week we're going to look into his religious affections, wherein he basically, in the second part of a treatise of religious affections, he puts forth 24 signs. He says 12 of those signs give proof of nothing at all. We call those signs of nothing. So, for example, extreme emotion in worship is a sign of nothing because the flesh can just as easily produce that as the Spirit. He then saw the first great awakening come from out of his own assembly, and that was his response, a treatise on religious affection. So he wanted to discern and support this revival as much as he could. Again, the first part, what is the nature of true religion? His answer, true religion in great part consists in holy affections. Second, how does one determine, if at all, who has been the object of the Spirit's saving work? Edwards basically concluded by saying this, that the fruit of the Spirit is what furnishes proof of salvation. They are the signs of new life in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now the passage on the fruit of the Spirit is found in the letter that I've had you turn to, the letter to the Galatian people, to the Galatian church. The, that catalog of fruit is found in Galatians 5. I've had you turn to chapter 1. What is the burden of Paul in writing this church? Two weeks ago, Pastor Matt said that Galatians has a fatherly tone. It has a confrontational tone. What was Paul's burden? Well, Paul faced a religious system in Galatia that combined Christianity with the Mosaic Law. Okay, so they brought these two things together, and what the Judaizers did, those were the proponents pushing this, what they said is 
to furnish proof of your conversion to Christ, you had to supplement it with the Mosaic Law. That's what the Judaizers were telling Gentile Christians in Galatia. Now, if you think about it, to the Galatian Christians, that additive probably didn't seem that overwhelming. I mean, in order to be accepted by these narrow Jews, all we have to do is observe some dietary restrictions, go through a few ceremonies. You see how the additive might not have seemed that dangerous. And yet by adding stipulations to the gospel, they actually changed the gospel. Look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a what? A different gospel. Christ plus anything is a different gospel. They are turning from someone to something and it's not the same thing. Look at verse 7. Not that there is another one. See, he talks about this different gospel, but he says there is no different gospel. Paul helped resolve the issue for the Galatians not by calling them to be better law keepers, but by calling them to live out the implications of the gospel. So fast forward to Galatians 5. Turn to Galatians 5. And what Paul is going to teach in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 is all that the young Christians in Galatia need and all they will ever need is, this is going to surprise you, the gospel without any additives. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The picture is of an oxen with this huge yoke, maybe off in the ditch and burdened down, and, and its owner comes along and takes that burden off of its neck so it can get out of this ditch. Don't go back in under that yoke. Don't get off the path and get caught. But what is the freedom that Paul is talking about? Really, the context of the entire letter makes plain that the freedom is from the law's condemnation. Yes, we're free from sin. But even being free from the law, we sin, right? That's why we need the Holy Spirit in us. He's going to talk about this later on. But we are free from the law's condemnation. Remember, the law is impersonal. You come to the law and you say, I've only sinned once. Right? Of course, James says, if you've, if you've offended in one area, you've broken the whole law. Right? I've only sinned once. And what does the law say? The wages of sin is death. But I'm not as bad as other people. As a matter of fact, I've been pretty religious my entire life. Death, death, death. That's the yoke of the law. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't get back underneath the law's demands. Why? Because in Christ, He did what? He fulfilled all of what? All of the law's demands for you. That's what, that's what uh, Galatians 3.13 says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, 
having become a curse for us. The law says you're cursed. But I've only said once, cursed. Christ redeemed us from the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. So he took that curse for you. You know, it's possible for even strong believers to relapse back into law. It's possible for us to relapse back into the law. You have this very large section in Galatians 2 where you have a man named Peter. Yeah, the Peter you know who relapses back into the law. For before the Jews came, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, listen to what Scripture says, he acted, well, it says he feared them. He feared the circumcision party. Here you have the Apostle Peter. I mean, he displayed very little fear in the pages of the Gospels. But now in Galatians 2, he fears this specific group of people and he changes his behavior. Why did he do it? He feared the circumcision party. And what resulted was the other believing Jews with Peter, quote, acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. See how clear that is. Well, some lapse back into legalism. Others turn their liberty into license. We're going to look at that. Look at Galatians 5, verse 13. Paul's going to shape Christian freedom in three ways. The first part of verse 13 Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see, the flesh still exists within a believer. That explains the difficulty we've had this last week. That explains the difficulty we had this morning. There is the flesh, and it has an agenda, and it is an internal traitor, and it does not want to please God. Freedom in Christ is not freedom to indulge the flesh. Though your conscience has been freed and though the guilt has been removed, you cannot use freedom in Christ to satisfy sinful desire. Look at the second part of verse 13. Gospel freedom is not freedom to exploit my neighbor. Through love, serve one another. So Christ has set you free. And yet there's still an obligation on you. No, it's not the law's demands. It's not the curse of the law. But it is the implication of the law all along through love. Serve one another. Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another. This is a very violent picture. Something that you would see on an African safari. This is actually something you hope to see on an African safari. It's why you wake up at 5 and you find out and you're you're zipping past the zebra and the giraffe and everything else because we can see those later and early in the morning you're trying to find a pride of lion on a kill or at least stalking. And when you see that, I mean the cameras are going and you stay there for a long time. What is great on an African safari is not great within a church. The biting and the devouring. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Gospel freedom is not freedom to exploit my neighbor. Right through love, serve. 
Don't exploit. We are not to use people as things. Young people, we are not to look for a boyfriend and girlfriend to satisfy your own desires. They're not things to be exploited. People are not a means to our selfish ends. We're not to use people to accomplish our own agenda. We are to respect others and serve them. We sacrifice our good for theirs, not theirs for ours. Christian liberty is service, not selfishness. Paul's writing this to a church. The burden of Paul writing this is is Christ to set you free. And And when that has happened, it should be evident in this, that you're serving one another and you're loving one another. Third, Paul says Christian freedom is not freedom to disregard the law. Now, it sounds up to this point, sometimes in our series of sanctification, that we're like, oh, the law is bad, the law is bad, the law is bad. No, Paul calls the law holy and good if it's used lawfully. Look at verse 14. Christian freedom is not freedom to disregard the law. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, which I actually count several words here. But it's like one one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So let me ask you. Have you obeyed the law? See, the idea is not that in Christ now anything goes, but that the intent of the Old Testament law remains and it's fulfilled. That's the word. That the law is fulfilled by what? By loving one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jonathan Edwards, in his treatise of religious affections, concluded, quote, The fruit of the Spirit are the true religious affections, love being the chief affection, and that all other fruit or Christian virtues flow from this. He continued to say, This is how you can distinguish between carnal men and spiritual men. Carnal men do not produce the fruit of the Spirit, but spiritual men do. And so as we lead up to this, what Paul is saying is don't lose your gospel freedom and don't abuse your gospel freedom. When that happens, you are now contrary to the meaning or the intent of the law. Now look at verse 16. He's going to identify in a true believer this civil war that rages within our hearts. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, because the Spirit is never going to lead you to be unkind. So keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is, going to, is never going to lead you to exploit someone. So keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is never going to lead you to steal But he's going to prompt you to give. Keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This civil war is what John Stott calls an irreconcilable antagonism. Let me ask you, did you feel that last week? This civil war, this antagonism, this every intent when you wake up to do right and by, and by 9.30 you're wanting to go the other way. 
or you had every intention to show love to that irritable person at work, and and as soon as you saw them walking your way, you were tempted to do something else, right? To return evil for evil. Your flesh is an internal traitor. It cannot be tamed. There must be a struggle, a war, a resisting. Now, with that in mind, Paul's going to lead you into these two different catalogs, these, these lists. Look at verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, so let's say a few things about that. These things are crystal clear. Nobody's sitting around and talking about interpretive systems of eschatology. Okay? No, no, no one's talking about things such as doubt or anxiety or frustration, things that believers, that children of God, struggle with. He doesn't even talk about, about tension between husband and wife or between parent and child or between pastor and congregant. He's not even talking about those things. These things are evident. They are clear. They are conspicuously, morally dark. And if your life is characterized by these, then you have your answer. And the answer is staggering. This is not an exhaustive list, for he adds, and things like these. So quickly, we're just going to touch on these. Paul gives a list that can be divided into four areas of life. Sexuality, religion, relationships, and abuse. Look at the physical desires. Three terms are used that we wrongly think are synonymous and breeze through. Sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. It's forbidden sexual behavior, real or imagined. Impurity, closely connected to that physical, moral uncleanness. Sensuality, contempt of what is appropriate. Living your life governed only by your senses. Then he moves into this category of religion. Religion does not make someone godly. The flesh can produce religious behavior. Idolatry, anything that dethrones God in our heart. Sorcery, tampering with the powers of evil. He's going to move into personal relationships. Eight examples. The majority of examples are in this category indicating, what do you think that indicates? That the primary breakdown happens where? In our relationships. Eight works have to do with human relationships. They work themselves out in society. They, they, they display themselves as we relate to each other. And Paul is writing to who? Not just the entire Galatian culture. He's writing specifically to who? A church. Enmity. Hostility. Quarrels. Hatred. Strife. A contentious temper. Jealousy. Fits of anger rivalries, okay, that could be selfish ambition, uh, the idea of somebody quote, interpreted it as canvassing for office, right? So taking a side, a rivalry, canvassing for office, building an argument against another side, that leads to dissensions, division, sedition, then divisions, a party sect, a group that has become divisive, and then envy, which is spite. Now, if these works 
And there's two more, okay, drunkenness and then orgies, which is also carousing. And that could be the abuse of God's good gifts taken too far in each case. But if these works are reflective of people in the church, that either gives evidence of one of two things. First of all, it either gives evidence of unregenerate church membership. Okay, that's a, that's a big word. What do we mean by that? That means people got into the membership of a church that are not truly born again. Okay, if this is descriptive of their life. And we're going to talk about the word do in just a second. Or it gives evidence of undealt with sin in a true Christian brother or sister. And that's where the important doctrine of church discipline comes in. Okay, the exhortation, the confrontation, the nurturing, the gentleness, the bringing along. Paul finishes with this warning. Look at verse 21. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, I can't even make that any clearer. (laughs) The translation is sharp, isn't it? Now, the word do, who do such things, does not refer to an isolated lapse or an episode, but a habitual practice. This is the continual fruit that hangs off the limbs of your trees. As a matter of fact, It's not even called fruit, it's called works, because these are natural. This is simply the work you produce for not being born again. Fruit, however, struggles against these same tendencies of the flesh, but fruit then is the supernatural produce of the Holy Spirit working within you. Since God's kingdom is a kingdom of godliness, righteousness, peace, and purity, those who choose to indulge as a lifestyle in the works of the flesh, cannot enter the kingdom. I mean, really, that's Paul's words in verse 21. So how do you know then if you have been saved by grace? How do you know if you're in Christ? How do you know if you're born again? How do you know if your sins have been forgiven? Well, he's going to introduce to you the fruit of the Spirit. And really it comes down to basically what are you believing right now? Okay, well then what is the proof of your believing? Because just, be, just because someone is kind doesn't mean what? They get to go into heaven. Or just because somebody is gentle, because some people are just gentle by nature, right? So just because somebody is gentle doesn't mean the, the doors of the kingdom are open to him. No, there has to be a repentance and belief in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. But somebody who has that relationship will show that by the fruit that their life produces. That's the produce of their life. And this is not two-phase spirituality. It's not some higher life. This is just the natural, evident fruit of being in Christ. I mean, this is so simple. Children, you're just going to hear this. Okay, I want, I want okay, children, let me do young adults. Everybody 47 and down, young adults. The proof that you have an apple tree is that it grows mangoes. Right? And we laugh because it's absurd. That'd be an awesome tree. Right? In the fall, apples. In the spring, mangoes. No, the proof that you have an apple tree is that it produces apples. And if, these, if all of a sudden you see these things and they're, they're, they're orange and you open it up, and it's got seeds, 
and juice, and it's got a little sunkist sticker on the side of it, because that happens from the, from the tree branch, then you have what? You don't have an apple tree, you have, an, you have what? You thought I was going to say banana. Yeah, you have an orange tree. Because orange trees grow oranges, apple trees grow apples. People who are born again by believing in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior alone grow this. The proof that you have the Holy Spirit in you is that you what? You read your Bible every day. No. I mean, you should. It's a great practice. But do you know the flesh can get up and read the Bible every day? No, the actual proof that you have the Holy Spirit in you is that you give regularly. No. Which you ought to do. That's in Galatians. But the flesh can establish a regular pattern of disciplined giving. The proof that you have the Holy Spirit is that you can give detailed intellectual answers to key points of theology. No. I mean, yes, we, we, we want to grow in our knowledge and we want to understand God's Word. But Jesus had to confront the Jews and say, you search the Scriptures thinking in them you have eternal life. And they had all the knowledge. They sat in Moses' seat. They didn't know Jesus. The flesh can do many things. But I want to show you the proof that you have the Holy Spirit in you. The proof of an apple tree is apples. The proof of an orange tree is oranges. The proof of the Spirit living in you is this. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is. How do you know you have the Spirit? Because if you don't have the Spirit, Paul's going to say in Romans, then you're not even his child. But the fruit or the proof or the natural result or the supernatural result of the Spirit living in you. And Paul gives nine Christian graces. And that's going to be our focus next Sunday. Look at the first one. Love. Why is that so important? Well, Paul already said what Jesus said, that the whole law is fulfilled in this, if you love. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. Right? What is the, what is the one key characteristic that our Lord Jesus Christ would say by this singular all people will know you're following me that you what? You love. John will write by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All the theology, all the spiritual disciplines in place, all the Bible knowledge. If you do not love your brother or your sister who names the name of Christ, John says it is evident you're a child of the devil. Now, can somebody lapse in that? Can somebody get embittered as a Christian? Absolutely. But there has to be this resisting and this fighting and eventually the fruit of the Spirit and of reconciliation. 1 John 4.20, John goes on, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Love, joy, right? The evident 
the, the evident experience of being rightly related to God and delighting in Him. Peace from a restored relationship. We have, the, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Patience. Long-suffering towards those who aggravate. Kindness. A kind, approachable disposition. Goodness, good words and deeds, faithfulness, the reliability of the Christian, gentleness, meekness, which is strength under control, self-control, self-mastery. It resists the impulses of the internal traitor. It resists unkindness. It resists evil. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, where, where these are missing, either the Spirit has been grieved and quenched, or the Spirit does not live in that person. Where these are missing, where these are not practiced consistently, then either the Spirit does not take up residence in that person, or the Spirit has been so grieved and quenched and replaced by them lapsing back into the law for acceptance. No wonder verse 23 has this. Look at verse 23. Against such there is no law. Against these fruit, this fruit, the singular fruit, against this fruit there is no law. I mean, what is the function of the law? To stop, to curb, to limit, restrain. There's no law that says, oh, stop, that was way too much kindness. Right? Or, wait a minute, I think you were a little too gentle in that situation. Right? You need to be a lot harsher, a lot more brash. There's no law against these things. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ. Isn't that the answer we want? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what is the call to action this morning from this text? As God is sanctifying His people, as those of us who are holy and are becoming holy, Toward the flesh, we must crucify it with its passions and desires. Decisively, uncompromisingly, and continually. This is what is called a life of repentance. We turn from it. Doesn't mean we're getting saved again. But we're turning away from that. The flesh pulls us. The internal traitor lures us. And we turn. It's a life of repentance. Decisively, uncompromisingly, and continually. And then toward the Spirit. We must be led by Him, which is passive, and keep in step with Him, which is active. It is the Spirit who leads us, prompts us, influences us. And it's us who says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm going to go this way, Lord. And when the internal trader says, be unkind, be caustic, and the Spirit prompts you to be kind and gentle, you say, yes, Lord. There's this passive leading, but there's this active following on our part. This morning, will you keep in step with God's Spirit? What is it this morning that a life of repentance needs to say no to? I'm going to stop that. I'm going to break that habit. I've lapsed again. These are the works of the flesh. And by listening to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to say, no, be passively led by the Spirit, but actively follow Him and say yes. Would you pray with me? Before I close in prayer, 
I would like to encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting in your heart. What is it in your life that is characterized by the works of the flesh? Turn from that. And know again the joy and the peace and the kindness of our Lord.